Life as We Knew It by Susan Beth Pfeffer. Spring, Chapter 1, May 7th. Lisa is pregnant. Dad called around 11 o'clock to let us know. Only Mom had already taken Johnny to his baseball practice, and of course, Matt isn't home from college yet, so I was alone to get the big news. The baby is due in December, Dad crowed, like he was the first guy in the history of the world with a younger second wife about to have a baby. Isn't that great? You're going to have a little brother or sister. Of course, it's too soon to tell what it's going to be, but as soon as we know, we'll tell you. I wouldn't mind another daughter myself. The first one I had turned out so wonderfully. How'd you like a baby sister? I had no idea. When did you find out? I asked. Yesterday afternoon, Dad said. I would have called you right away, but, well, we celebrated. You can understand that, can't you, honey? A little private time for Lisa and me before letting the world know. Of course, Daddy, I said. Has Lisa told her family? First thing this morning, he replied. Her parents are thrilled. Their first grandchild. They're coming for a couple of weeks in July before you and Johnny visit. Are you going to call Matt and tell him, I asked, or do you want me to? Oh, no, I'll call, Dad said. He's busy studying for his finals. He'll be glad for the interruption. It's great news, Dad, I said, because I knew I was supposed to. Be sure to tell Lisa how happy I am for her, and you too, for both of you. You tell her yourself, Dad said. Here she is. Dad muffled the phone for a second so he could whisper something to Lisa, and then she took the phone. Miranda, she said, isn't it exciting? Very, I said. It's a wonderful news. I'm really happy for you and Dad. I was thinking, she said. Well, I know it's way too soon, and I haven't even discussed this with your father yet, but would you like to be the baby's godmother? You don't have to answer right away, but do think about it, all right? That's the problem I have with Lisa. Whenever I want to get mad at her, or just irritated because she really can be immensely irritating, she goes and does something nice. And then I can understand why Dad married her. Of course I'll think about it, I said. You and Daddy think about it also. We don't have to give it any more thought, she said. You should see the glow on your father's face. I don't think he could be any happier. I couldn't, Dad said, and I could tell from his laughter that he grabbed the phone away from Lisa. Miranda, please say yes. It would mean so much to us for you to be the baby's godmother. So I said yes. I couldn't exactly say no. After that, we chatted for a while. I told Dad about my last swim meet and how I was doing in school. Mom still hadn't come back by the time I finally got off the phone, so I went online to see what's new with figure skating. The hot topic at Brendan Ehrlich's fan site is how good his chances are to win Olympic gold. Most people think not very, but a lot of us think he has a real shot at meddling, and ice is slippery, and you never know. I think I'd like to take skating lessons again. I've missed it the past couple of years, and besides, it'll give me a chance to pick up news about Brandon. He isn't being coached by Mrs. Daly anymore, but I bet she still hears stuff. And maybe Brandon's mother would show up at the rink. When Mom got in, I had to tell her about Lisa. She just said that was nice and that she knew the two of them wanted children. She and Dad have worked really hard on making it a good divorce. Matt says if they worked half as hard on their marriage, they'd still be married. I didn't tell her about how I'm going to be the godmother, assuming Lisa doesn't change her mind, which she's more than capable of doing. I feel kind of bad that I'm going to be the godmother, but no one said anything about Matt or Johnny being godfathers. Of course, Lisa and Matt don't get along very well, and maybe 13 is too young to be a godfather. I hope Lisa changes her mind, and I won't have to deal with it. May 8th. Not the greatest Mother's Day ever. I told Mom a while ago that I'd make dinner, and she decided to invite Mrs. Nesbitt. I can't say I was surprised, but I figured if Mom was having Mrs. Nesbitt over, I could ask Megan and her mom, too. Only when Johnny found out it was going to be me and Mom and Mrs. Nesbitt and Megan and Mrs. Wayne, he said that was too many females in one room for him, 
and he was going to have dinner at Tim's instead. Mom always thinks it's a good idea for Johnny to spend time with Tim and his family because there are three boys and Tim's father is around a lot. She said if it was okay with Tim's folks, it was okay with her. I called Megan and told her to bring her history notes with her and we'd study for the test together and she agreed, which is why I'm so mad at her. If she hadn't said yes, it would be one thing. But she did, and I made enough meatloaf for five and salad, and then right before I started setting the table, Megan called and said she had decided to stay on at her church and do something with the youth group. She'd gotten the dates mixed up, and her mother didn't feel like coming without her, so it was going to be two less for Sunday dinner, and she hoped I didn't mind. Well, I do mind. I mind because I'd been looking forward to all of us having dinner together and to studying with Megan. I also figured Mrs. Nesbitt and Mrs. Wayne would be good people for Mom to talk to about Lisa's baby. Mom may not be best friends with Mrs. Wayne, but she's funny, and she would have gotten Mom laughing. Megan is spending so much time at her church. She goes to services every Sunday, and she never used to, and she does stuff with the youth group at least twice a week and sometimes more. And for all her talking about how she's found God, I think all she's found is Reverend Marshall. She talks about him like he's a movie star. I even told her that once, and she said that's how I talk about Brandon, like it was the same thing, which it isn't at all. Lots of people think Brandon is the best skater in the U.S. right now, and besides, it isn't like I talk about him all the time and act like he's my salvation. Dinner was okay, except I overcooked the meatloaf, so it was a little dry. But Mrs. Nesbitt never been shy with the ketchup bottle. After a while, I left her and mom alone, and I guess they talked about Lisa and the baby. I wish it was summer already. I can't wait to get my driver's license. I also wish I was through studying for my history exam. Boring. But I'd better get back to it. Bad grades, no license. The rules according to mom. May 11. Got a 92 on the history test. I should have done better. Mom took Horton to the vet. He's fine. I worry a little bit about him now that he's 10. How long do cats live? Sammy told me she's going to the prom with Bob Patterson. I know I shouldn't be jealous, but I am. Not because I like Bob. Actually, I think he's kind of creepy. But because nobody asked me. Sometimes I think no one ever will. I'll spend the rest of my life sitting in front of my computer posting messages about Brandon Ehrlich and his future in figure skating. I told Megan about Sammy and how she always gets dates, and she said, Well, the reason is there's always a man in Samantha. And after I got over being shocked, I laughed. But then Megan spoiled it by becoming that new preachy Megan, and she went on about how sex before marriage is a sin and how you shouldn't date just to go out with guys, but because you were serious about making a lifetime commitment. I'm 16 years old. Let me get my learner's permit first. Then I'll worry about lifetime commitments. May 12th. I went to bed in a bad mood, and today everything just went worse. At lunch today, Megan told Sammy she was going to go to hell if she didn't repent soon, and Sammy got real mad, I don't blame her, and yelled at Megan that she was a very spiritual person and didn't need any lessons from Megan about what God wanted because she knew God wanted her to be happy, and if God hadn't wanted people to have sex, he'd have made everybody amoebas. I thought it was pretty funny, but Megan didn't, and the two of them really went at it. I can't remember the last time the three of us had lunch together and enjoyed ourselves. When Becky was still healthy, the four of us did everything together. And then, after Megan got sick, we grew even closer. Megan or Sammy or I visited Becky at home or at the hospital almost every day and called or emailed the others to say how Becky was doing. I don't think I could have made it through Becky's funeral without them. But ever since then, Sammy and Megan both changed. Sammy started dating all kinds of guys, and Megan got involved with her church. They both changed so much over the past year, and I seem to be staying who I always was. Here I am going into my junior year of high school, and these are supposed to be the best years of my life, and I'm just stuck. 
But the real reason why I'm in a bad mood is because I got into a big fight with Mom. It started after supper. Johnny had gone into his room to finish his homework, and Mom and I were loading the dishwasher. And Mom told me she and Dr. Elliot were going out for dinner tomorrow night. There was this quick moment when I was jealous of Mom, because even she has a social life, but it passed pretty fast. I like Dr. Elliot, and Mom hasn't been involved with anybody in a while. Besides, it's always smart to ask favors of Mom when she's in a good mood. So I did. Mom, can I take skating lessons? Just for the summer, she asked. And next year, too, I said, if I feel like continuing. After your ankle healed, you said you didn't want to skate again, Mom said. The doctor said I shouldn't even try jumping for three months, I said. And by then, there wasn't any point competing, so I stopped. But now I'd like to skate just for fun. I thought you'd like it, that I do sports. I do like it, Mom said. But the way she slammed the dishwasher closed let me know she didn't like it nearly as much as I thought she did. But you have swimming, and you were planning on trying out for the volleyball team in the fall. You can't handle three sports. Two's probably a stretch, especially if you want to work on the school paper. So I'll skate instead of volleyball, I said. Mom, I know my limitations, but I loved skating. I don't understand why you don't want me to. If I thought the only reason was because you loved it, then we'd talk about it, Mom said. But skating lessons are very expensive, and I can't help thinking you only want them so you can gossip about Brandon Ehrlich on the message boards. Mom, Brandon doesn't even skate here anymore, I cried. He trains in California now. But his parents still live here, Mom said, and you'd want to be coached by Mrs. Daly. I don't know if she'd even take me on, I said. It's about the money, isn't it? There's money to send Johnny to baseball camp this summer, but not enough money for me to have skating lessons. Mom turned 15 shades of red, and then we really went at it. Mom yelled at me about money and responsibilities, and I yelled at her about favorites and not loving me like she loves Matt and Johnny, which I know isn't true. But Mom wasn't right about me not understanding about money and responsibilities, and we got so loud Johnny left his bedroom to see what was going on. Mom came into my room about an hour later, and we both apologized. Mom said she'd think about the skating lessons. She said she thought volleyball would be better on my college application since I could join a college squad if I was good enough. She didn't say I'd never be good enough at swimming for a college squad, which was actually kind of nice of her. I'm never going to be good enough for anything the way things are going. And I don't much like either of my two best friends these days. All that and a math test tomorrow I can't even pretend I studied enough for. I wish I was in college already. I don't know how I can make it through the next two weeks, let alone two more years of high school. May 13th. Friday the 13th. Well, things weren't that bad. The math test wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. Mom said if I wanted, I could take skating lessons in July. August, I'd be spending with Dad anyways. Then, if I want to continue, we'll talk about it again. Megan had lunch with her church friends. I don't like any of them. And Sammy had lunch with this week's boyfriend. So I ended up eating with some of the swim team, which is a lot more fun than listening to Megan and Sammy yell about God. Dan, who'll be captain next year, told me I had a really good crawl stroke and that if I worked at it, he could see me anchoring relays as soon as next season. And I like Peter. He told Johnny and me to call him that, said Dr. Elliot was his name at the office. Some of the guys moms dated have tried too hard with us, but Peter seemed pretty casual. Not with mom, though. He actually stammered when he was talking to her, and he stumbled and nearly fell. But he laughed at himself and said he wasn't nearly that careless when he was operating on someone. He asked if any of us had heard about the asteroid and the moon. Mom remembered something about it, because it was big news when the astronomers first announced it was going to happen. Some asteroid is going to hit the moon, and Peter heard on the radio driving over that it's going to be visible in the night sky next week. I asked Mom if we could dig out Matt's telescope, and she said we should ask him, but she was sure it'd be okay. 
Johnny and I didn't even argue over the computer after Mom left. There was something I wanted to catch on TV from 8 to 9, and there was something he wanted to watch from 9 to 10, so that worked out really well. The fan board is still fighting over whether Brandel need two quads to win the Olympics or whether he could win with just one. It would be so amazing if Brandon won a gold. I bet we'd have a parade and everything. It's past 11 already, and Mom still isn't home. I guess she and Peter are out admiring the moon. May 15th. Spent the weekend working on my English paper. Dad called this morning. Matt says we can use the telescope. He'll be home in a couple of weeks. He swears he'll teach me how to drive. Johnny was named Middle School Player of the Week. May 16. All of a sudden, this moon thing is the biggest thing ever. Either that or my teachers are as bored with schoolwork as we are. I could understand it if I were taking astronomy. But French? Madame O'Brien made us talk about La Lune the entire class. She's making us write a composition about it due Friday because Wednesday night we're all going to be outside watching the asteroid hit the moon. Sammy says every time they make a big fuss like that for an eclipse or a meteor shower, it rains. It isn't just Madame O'Brien who's hot for this asteroid. In English today, we talked about the origin of the word lunar. Eddie made a joke about mooning, and Mr. Clifford was so excited about word origins, he didn't even get mad. He talked about slang instead, and metaphors that would have to do with astronomy. And he gave us a new assignment, too. We can write on any topic that has to do with the moon. Due Friday, of course. I guess Ms. Hamish thinks this moon thing is historical because in history, that's what we talked about. How people throughout history have looked at the moon and comets and eclipses. Actually, that was kind of interesting. I never really thought about how when I looked at the moon, it's the same moon Shakespeare and Marie Antoinette and George Washington and Cleopatra looked at. Not to mention all those zillions of people I've never heard of. All those Homo sapiens and Neanderthals looked at the very same moon as me. It's waxed and waned in their sky, too. Of course, Miss Hamish wasn't satisfied with inspiring us like that. She gave us an assignment, too. We can write either an essay about astronomy in the past and how it affected someone in history, like if they saw a comet and it scared them or prophesied something, or an article about what's going to happen Wednesday night. Either way, it's due on Friday. I don't understand teachers. You'd think they'd talk to each other, and at least one of them would realize how unfair it is to give us all assignments due on Friday. I wouldn't mind if I could figure out how to double up on them, write my history essay, and translate it into French, which I could maybe do if my French was good enough, which it isn't. But I don't see how to do two for the price of one, so I think I'll have to write three separate papers, and one in French, and hand them all in on Friday. I'll really be sick of the moon by then. This moon thing is supposed to happen around 9.30 Wednesday night, and Mom was interested enough that we watched the news tonight. They said asteroids hit the moon pretty often, which is how the moon gets its craters, but this one is going to be the biggest asteroid ever to hit it, and on a clear night, you should be able to see the impact when it happens, maybe even with the naked eye, but certainly with binoculars. They made it sound pretty dramatic, but I still don't think it's worth three homework assignments. Mom watched the local news, too, which she almost never does because she says it's too depressing, and they're predicting a really nice night. Clear skies and temperatures in the low 60s. They said in New York, people are organizing parties for Central Park and on apartment rooftops. I asked Mom if we could have a party, and she said no. But people on our road will probably be out watching, and it'll be like having a block party. I don't know how interesting it's really going to be, but compared to everything else in my life, at least it's something different. May 17. I got an 82 on my math test. There were at least four questions I should have gotten right but made careless mistakes on. I know for a fact that Sammy's mother 
hadn't looked at a test result of hers in years. And Megan's mom has always worried about who Megan hangs out with, but I don't think she cares all that much about her grades. I had to get stuck with the mother who works at home and has plenty of time to check things out and hover and demand to see tests. We didn't have a big fight over it. I did pass after all. But mom gave me one of her famous you-shouldn't-be-so-careless lectures, which I get at least once a week, and sometimes more than that if the mood strikes her. Mom said, since I'm prone to carelessness, etc., it might be a good idea if I get a head start on all my moon papers, especially since they didn't have to be about whatever is going to happen tomorrow. She suggested writing about the 1969 moon landing, so I googled it and found out lots of people didn't really care that there were men walking around on the moon. They all watched Star Trek, the original old lousy special effects, beam me up Scotty Star Trek, and they were used to seeing Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock hopping around the universe so real people walking on the moon wasn't as exciting. I think that's funny. Men were walking on the moon for the very first time in history, and people preferred watching Dr. McCoy say, He's dead, Jim, for the thousandth time. I wasn't exactly sure how to turn that into a paper, so Mom and I talked about it, about how fiction can have more power than reality, and how in 1969, there was a lot of cynicism because of Vietnam and the 60s and all that, and there were people who didn't think men were really on the moon and thought it was a hoax. I think I'll do my French paper on what happens tomorrow night because my French isn't good enough for stuff like hoaxes and cynicism. For English, I'm focusing on how fiction can be more exciting than reality. And for history, I'll focus on how people in the 60s were cynical about what the government told them. I told mom that Sammy said it was sure to rain tomorrow night because it always rains when something important is supposed to happen in the sky. And she laughed and said she had never known a more pessimistic 15-year-old. I'll be at Dad's when Sammy turns 16. I have a feeling if she has a party, it'll be all boys, so it probably won't matter. Around 10, something kind of odd happened. I was working on my paper, and Mom was arguing with Johnny about going to bed when the phone rang. We never get calls that late, so we all jumped. I got to the phone first, and it was Matt. Are you okay, I asked him. Matt never calls that late and he pretty much never calls on a weekday night. I'm fine, he said. I just wanted to hear your voices. I told Mom it was Matt. Johnny took the kitchen phone, and she used one in her bedroom. We told him what was going on. I complained about my three moon papers, and he told us about what he has left to do at school. Then he and Mom talked about the arrangements for him to get home. This was all perfectly normal stuff, but it didn't feel right. Johnny hung up first and then mom, and I managed to get Matt to stay on a minute longer. Are you sure everything's okay? I asked him. He paused for a moment. I have a funny feeling, he said. I guess it's this moon business. Matt's always been the one to explain things to me. Mom had her writing and Johnny and dad was at work for as long as he was here. So Matt was the one I turned to. I don't think he's psychic, And maybe it's just because he's three years older than me. But whenever I had a question, he seemed to know the answer. You don't think anything is going to be wrong, I asked him. It's not like the meteor is going to hit us. It's just the moon. I know, he said. But things might get a little crazy tomorrow night. Phone lines might get tied up, people calling each other. Sometimes people panic, even if there's no reason. You really think people are going to panic, I asked. Around here, it just seems like an excuse for teachers to give us even more work. Matt laughed. Teachers never need an excuse for that, he said. Anyway, I figured I'd find you all home tonight, and it'd be a good chance for me to say hello. I miss you, I said. I'm glad you're coming home. Me too, he said. He paused for a moment. Are you still keeping that journal of yours? Yeah, I said. Good, he said. Be sure to write about tomorrow. You'll probably enjoy reading all the details 20 years from now. You just want me to keep a record of all your clever sayings, I replied, for your many biographers. 
Well, that too, he said. See you in a few days. We hung up. I couldn't figure out if I felt better because he called or worse. If Matt's worried, then I'm worried. But maybe all Matt is worried about is getting through his papers and exams. Chapter 2, May 18. Sometimes when mom is getting ready to write a book, she says she doesn't know where to start, that the ending is so clear to her that the beginning doesn't seem important anymore. I feel that way now, only I don't know what the ending is, not even when the ending is tonight. We've been trying to get dad on his landline and cell phones for hours, and all we get are the kind of rapid-paced busy signals that mean the circuits are tied up. I don't know how much longer mom will keep trying or whether we'll talk to him before I fall asleep, if I fall asleep. This morning seems like a million years ago. I remember seeing the moon in the sunrise sky. It was a half moon, but it was clearly visible, and I looked at it and thought about how tonight the meteor was going to hit it and how exciting that would be. But it wasn't like we talked about it on the bus going to school. Sammy was complaining about the dress code for the prom, nothing strapless, nothing too short, and how she wanted a dress she could wear when she went clubbing. Megan got on the bus with some of her church friends, and they sat together. Maybe they talked about the meteor, but I think they just prayed. They do that on the bus sometimes, or read Bible verses. The whole school day was just normal. I remember being bored in French class. I stayed for swim practice after school, and then Mom picked me up. She said she invited Mrs. Nesbitt to watch the media along with us, but Mrs. Nesbitt had said she'd be more comfortable watching at home. So it was just going to be Johnny and Mom and me for the big event. That's what she called it, the big event. She also told me to finish my homework early so we could make a party of it after supper. So that's what I did. I finished two of my moon assignments and did my math homework, and then we ate supper and watched CNN until around 8.30. All CNN talked about was the moon. They had a bunch of astronomers on, and you could see how excited they were. Maybe after I'm through playing second for the Yankees, I'll be an astronomer, Johnny said. I'd been thinking the exact same thing. Well, not about playing second for the Yankees. The astronomers looked like they loved what they were doing. You could see how excited they were that this asteroid was going to make a direct hit on the moon. They had charts and computer projections and graphics, but basically they looked like big kids at Christmas. Mom had gotten out Matt's telescope, and she found the really good pair of binoculars that had somehow hidden themselves last summer. She even baked chocolate chip cookies for the event, so we carried a plate out and napkins. We decided to watch from the road, since we figured we'd have a better view from up front. Mom and I brought out lawn chairs, but Johnny decided to use the telescope. We didn't know exactly how long the hit was going to take or if there'd be something exciting to see afterwards. It seemed like everyone on the road was out tonight. Some of the people were on their decks having late barbecues, but most everyone else was in front of their houses, like we were. The only one I didn't see was Mr. Hopkins, but I could tell from the glow in his living room that he was watching on TV. It was like a big block party. The houses are so widespread on our road, you really couldn't hear anything, just a general happy buzz. When it got closer to 9.30, things really got quiet. You could sense how we were all craning our necks, looking toward the sky. Johnny was at the telescope, and he was the first one who shouted that the asteroid was coming. He could see it in the night sky, and then we all could, the biggest shooting star you could imagine. It was a lot smaller than the moon, but bigger than anything else I'd ever seen in the sky. It looked like it was blazing, and we all cheered when we saw it. For a moment, I thought about all the people throughout history who saw Halley's Comet and didn't know what it was. Just that it was there and frightening and awe-inspiring. For the briefest flick of a second, I could have been a 16-year-old in the Middle Ages looking up at the sky, marveling at its mysteries, or an Aztec, or an Apache. For that tiny instant, I was every 16-year-old in history, not knowing what the skies foretold about my future.
and then it hit. Even though we knew it was going to, we were still shocked when the asteroid actually made contact with the moon. With our moon, at that second, I think we all realized that it was our moon, and if it was attacked, then we were attacked. Or maybe nobody thought that. I know most of the people on the road cheered, but then we all stopped cheering, and a woman a few houses down screamed, and then a man screamed, oh my God, and people were yelling, what, what, like one of us knew the answer. I know all those astronomers I'd watched an hour earlier on CNN can explain just what happened and how and why, and they'll be explaining on CNN tonight and tomorrow, and I guess until the next big story happens. I guess I can't explain because I really don't know what happened, and I sure don't know why. But the moon wasn't a half moon anymore. It was tilted and wrong and a three-quarter moon, and it got larger, way larger, large like a moon rising on the horizon, only it wasn't rising. It was smack in the middle of the sky, way too big, way too visible. You could see details on the craters, even without the binoculars, that before I'd seen with Matt's telescope. It wasn't like a big chunk of it flew off into space. It wasn't like we could hear the sound of the impact or even that the asteroid hit the moon dead center. It was like if you're playing marbles and one marble hits another on its side and pushes it diagonally. It was still our moon, and it was still just a big dead rock in the sky. But it wasn't benign anymore. It was terrifying, and you could feel the panic swell all around us. Some people raced to their cars and started speeding away. Others began praying or weeping. One household began singing the Star-Spangled Banner. I'm going to call Matt, Mom said, like that was the most natural thing in the world to do. Come on in, kids. We'll see what CNN has to say about this. Mom, is the world coming to an end? Johnny asked, picking up the plate of cookies and ramming one into his mouth. No, it isn't, Mom said, folding her lawn chair and carrying it to the front of the house. And yes, you do have to go to school tomorrow. We laughed at that. I'd been wondering the same thing. Johnny put the cookies away, and I turned the TV back on. Only there was no CNN. Maybe I'm wrong, Mom said. Maybe the world really is coming to an end. Should I try Fox News, I asked. Mom shuddered. We're not that desperate, she said. Try one of the networks. They'll all have their own set of astronomers. Most of the networks were off, but our local channel seemed to be carrying NBC out of Philly. Even that was weird, because we never get New York feeds. Mom kept trying to get Matt's cell phone but without any luck. The Philly newscasters didn't seem to know much more than we did, although they were reporting some looting and general panic in the streets. Go check how things are outside, Mom told me. So I went back out. I could see the glow from Mrs. Nesbitt's TV set. There was still some praying going on in someone's backyard, but at least the screaming had stopped. I forced myself to look at the moon. I think I was afraid I see it had grown even bigger, that it really was lumbering its way toward Earth to crush us all to death, but it didn't seem to have gotten any larger. It was still off, though, still tilted in a funny way, and still too large for the night sky, and it was still three quarters. My cell phone is out, someone screamed a few doors down, and she sounded the way we'd felt when we saw CNN was gone. Civilization had ended. Check your cell phone, I told Mom when I came back in, so she did, and hers wasn't working either. I guess cell phones are out in this part of the country, she said. I'm sure Matt's okay, I said. Why don't I check emails? Maybe he sent us one from his laptop. So I went online, or rather I tried to go online, because our internet connection was dead. He's fine, Mom said when I told her. There's no reason to think he isn't fine. The moon is right where it belongs. Matt will call us when he has the chance. And that was the one thing Mom said all evening that turned out to be true. Because about 10 minutes later, the phone rang and it was Matt. I can't talk long, he said. I'm at a payphone and there's a line of people waiting for me to finish. I just wanted to check in and let you know I'm okay. Where are you, Mom asked. 
In town, he said, when we realized our cells weren't working, some of us drove to town just so we could phone in. I'll talk to you tomorrow when things aren't so crazy. Be careful, Mom said, and Matt promised he would be. I guess it was around then Johnny asked if we could call Dad, and Mom started trying to reach him, but the phone lines were crazy all over. I asked her to call Grandma in Las Vegas, but we couldn't get through to her either. We sat down in front of the TV to see what was happening to the rest of the world. The funniest thing was that Mom and I both jumped up at the exact same moment to get the chocolate chip cookies from the kitchen. I beat her to it and brought the plate in. We all started devouring them. Mom would eat a cookie, sit still for a few minutes, then get up and try Dad or Grandma. Johnny, who's really good about limiting the number of sweets he eats, just kept ramming cookies into his mouth. I would have eaten an entire box of chocolates if there had been any in the house. The TV connection went in and out, but we never got cable back. Finally, Johnny thought to bring out a radio, and we turned that on. But we couldn't get any of the New York stations, but Philly was coming in strong. At first, they didn't seem to know much more than we did. The moon got hit, like we'd been told it would. Only something had been miscalculated. But before some astronomer could come on and explain to the rest of us just what had gone wrong, there was a bulletin. First we heard it on the radio, and then we got enough TV reception to see it as well, so we turned the radio off. Whoever was broadcasting the news must have heard it over his little earphone, because he actually turned pale and then said, Are you sure? Has that been confirmed? He paused for a moment to listen to the reply, and then he kind of turned to face the camera. Mom grasped my hand and Johnny's. It'll be all right, she said. Whatever it is, we'll get through this. The newsman cleared his throat, like taking an extra few seconds was going to change what he had to say. We are receiving reports of widespread tsunamis, he said. The tides... As most of you know, the moon controls the tides. And the moon, well, whatever happened this evening at 9.37 p.m., and we don't know just what really did happen, but whatever it was, the tides were affected. Yes, yes, I got that. The tides seem to have swelled far beyond their normal boundaries. The reports are coming in from people in airplanes who happened to be flying overhead at the time. Massive flooding has been reported all over the eastern seaboard. There have been some confirmation of this, but these reports are all preliminary. Sometimes you hear the worst, and it doesn't prove that way at all. Wait a second. I quickly thought about who I knew on the eastern seaboard. Matt's in Ithaca and Dad's in Springfield. Neither one was anywhere near the ocean. New York City, Mom said. Boston. She has publishers in both cities and goes there on business. I'm sure everybody's fine, I said. You'll go online tomorrow and send everybody emails and make sure they're okay. All right, we're getting some confirmation, the newsman said. There are confirmed reports of tidal waves 20 feet or higher in New York City. All power there has been lost, so these are very sketchy reports. The tides don't seem to be stopping. AP is reporting that the Statue of Liberty has been washed out to sea. Mom started crying. Johnny was just staring at the TV like it was broadcasting in a foreign language. I got up and tried Dad again. Then I tried Grandma. But all I got was the busy circuit signal. We're getting an unconfirmed report that all of Cape Cod has been flooded, the newsman said. Again, this is unconfirmed. But the AP is reporting that Cape Cod and he paused for a moment and swallowed, that Cape Cod has been completely submerged. The same goes to be true of the barrier islands off the Carolina coast. Just gone. He stopped again to listen to whatever was being said through his earpiece. All right. There is confirmation of massive damage to Miami. Many deaths, many casualties. We don't know what he's saying is true, Mom said. Things get exaggerated. Tomorrow morning, we may find out all this didn't really happen. Or if it did, it wasn't nearly as bad as they thought it was. Maybe we should just turn the TV off now and wait until tomorrow to see what really happened. We may be scaring ourselves for no reason whatsoever.
only she didn't turn the TV off. There's no way of knowing the number of deaths, the newsman said. Communication satellites are down. Telephone lines are down. We're trying to get an astronomer from Drexel to come to our studio and tell us what he thinks is happening. But as you can imagine, astronomers are pretty busy right now. All right, we seem to be getting a national feed again, so we're cutting to our National News Bureau for a live update. And there, suddenly, was the NBC anchorman, looking reassuring and professional and alive. We're expecting word from the White House momentarily, he said. Early reports are of massive damage to all the major cities on the eastern seaboard. I'm coming to you from Washington, D.C. We have been unable to make contact with the New York City headquarters for the past hour, but there's the information as we have it. Everything I'm going to announce has been verified by two sources. It was like one of those lists on the radio to let you know to which schools were having snow days. Only instead of it being school districts in the area, it was whole cities, and it wasn't just snow. New York City has suffered massive damage, the anchor said. Staten Island and the eastern section of Long Island are completely submerged. Cape Cod, Nantucket, and Martha's Vineyard are no longer visible. Providence, Rhode Island, in fact, most of Rhode Island, can no longer be seen. The island off the coast of the Carolinas are gone. Miami and Fort Lauderdale are being battered. There seems to be no letting up. We've now had confirmation of massive flooding in New Haven and Atlantic City. Casualties on the eastern seaboard are believed to be in the hundreds of thousands. Naturally, it is far too early to tell if that number is excessive. We can only pray that it is. And then, out of nowhere, was the president. Mom hates him like she hates Fox News, but she sat there transfixed. I am broadcasting to you from my ranch in Texas, the president said. The United States has suffered its worst tragedy, but we are a great people and we will place our faith in God and extend a helping hand to all who need us. Idiot, Mom muttered, and she sounded so normal we all laughed. I got up again and tried the phone with no luck. By the time I got back, Mom had turned the TV off. We're fine, she said. We're well inland. I'll keep the radio on so if there's any call for evacuation. I'll hear it, but I don't think there will be. And yes, Johnny, you have to go to school tomorrow. Only this time we didn't laugh. I said goodnight and went to my bedroom. I've kept the clocked radio on, and I keep hearing reports. The tides seem to have pulled back from the East Coast, but now they're saying the Pacific is being affected also. San Francisco, they say, and they're afraid for L.A. and San Diego. There was one report that Hawaii is gone and parts of Alaska but no one knows that for sure yet. I looked out my window just now. I tried to look at the moon, but it scares me. Chapter 3, May 19. I woke up around 6 to the sound of the phone ringing. I threw on my robe and went to Mom's room. It's your father, she said, and handed me the phone. Right after Mom and Dad split up, I got it into my head. I'd never see him or hear from him again. And every time he called, I'd get this ridiculous sensation of relief. I felt the exact same way, like a hundred-pound weight had just flown out of my stomach. Are you okay, I asked. And Lisa, is she all right? We're both fine, he said. Your mother says everything is fine where you are and that you heard from Matt last night. That's right, I said. We tried and tried to reach you and Grandma last night, and the circuits were all busy. I reached her late last night, Dad said. She's fine. A little shaken up, that's natural enough. We're lucky, Miranda. We all seem to have made it. No problem. I felt like it should have been a dream, I said. Like maybe I'm still dreaming, and when I wake up, none of this will have happened. That's how we all feel, he said. Your mother says school hasn't been canceled. I guess the idea is for us to get on with our lives and be grateful that we can. All right, I said. I can take a hint. Give my love to Lisa, okay? Tell her I was thinking about her and the baby. I will, he said. I love you, honey. I love you too, Daddy, I said. I gestured to Mom to see if she wanted the phone back, but she shook her head, so I hung up. How late did you stay up, I asked. Did anything else happen? 
I went to bed around the same time you did, she said. I saw you turn your lights out. I didn't sleep very well, though. Kept waking up and turning the radio on, that kind of thing. Did the tide stop, I asked. Did the flooding stop? They stopped. They started, Mom said. Very bad. She kind of laughed. Very bad doesn't really describe it. Catastrophic. They don't know how bad the damage is yet. How many countries were affected? Countries, I said. Somehow I'd forgotten there were other countries that we shared the moon with other countries. I don't know, Mom said. They don't know. Nobody knows. Holland was decimated. They're pretty sure about that. Australia? Most of the cities here are on the coast, so it was very badly hit. The tides just went mad. They think the asteroid was denser than they assumed it would be, so the collision was bigger. They think the moon got knocked off kilter, got pushed a little bit closer to the Earth. At least, that was a theory around five. But it's not going to crash into Earth, I said. We're okay, right? We don't live that close to the ocean. They're sure it won't crash into the Earth, Mom said. At least, not in the foreseeable future. Beyond that, I don't think anybody's predicting anything. It was funny. I was actually glad school is still on. Like that proved we'd be okay. I left Mom and took a shower, and by the time I dressed and went downstairs, Mom had already started breakfast, and I could hear Johnny moving around. Mom made pancakes, which she never does on a school day. I didn't think I'd have any appetite, but I ate more than my share. So did Johnny. I don't remember seeing Mom eat any, but there was some batter left, so maybe she made some for herself after we left. When I went outside to wait for the bus, I looked up, and I could see the moon in the morning sky. It was still bigger than it should have been, and it didn't seem quite as washed out as it usually looks in the daytime. I stopped looking at it and concentrated on the dogwoods instead. On the bus, all anybody talked about was what happened last night. Not that anyone really seemed to know or understand. A couple of the kids seemed to think it was cool, and a couple of girls were crying the whole trip. I sat next to Sammy, but she didn't say much. Megan didn't get on the bus, and neither did her church friends. The bus was only half full. I hated the kids who were acting like it was all a big joke. There were a lot of kids missing from homeroom, too, but most of the teachers seemed to have shown up. We'd just started history when the first lightning bolt landed. It flashed so brightly, the whole classroom seemed illuminated. The thunder followed, loud enough to shake the building. At least one kid screamed, and I was just glad it wasn't me. Ms. Hamish tried to pretend the storm wasn't happening, but there was no way we could avoid talking about the moon. She asked how many of us knew someone who lived on one of the coast who might have been affected. All our hands went up. I don't actually know someone who lives there, Michelle Webster said, but I feel like I do because all the stars live in Hollywood or in New York, and I know I don't know them, but I feel like I do. A lot of the kids said they felt that way too. I guess Miss Hamish was going to tell us that was a normal way to feel, but then a lightning bolt hit one of the trees right outside the school grounds. The tree burst into flames, and then we lost our electricity. A lot of kids started screaming then. Michelle began sobbing, real hysterical sobs, and other kids started crying too. Sarah pulled out her cell phone to call home, maybe, or 911, but she couldn't get a connection, and she threw the cell phone across the room. The thunder kept rolling, and the tree began to smolder from the fire and the rain. It was weird. There was all this craziness going on around me, and Miss Hamish was trying to calm everybody down, only we could hardly hear her because the thunder was so loud and kids all over the school were screaming, so it wasn't just our classroom, and I didn't feel anything. I wasn't screaming or crying. I was just noticing things, how the wind had picked up and branches were flying around outside and how the storm didn't seem to be letting up any. Miss Hamish must have decided it was a tornado because she told us all to get up and go into the hallway. I don't know how many of the kids heard her, but I did, and I got up and started walking around the classroom, lifting the other kids out of their seats until they all figured out what we were supposed to do. By the time we evacuated the room, 
There were lots of kids sitting on the hallway floor, and we joined them. I kind of missed being able to see the storm. I didn't feel like it was a tornado. I felt like the world was coming to an end, and I was going to miss all the action because I was going to be sitting on the hallway floor when it did. And then I thought, well, that's typical. I can't even get any action when the world's coming to an end. And I started laughing. It wasn't hysterical laughing. It really was funny that the world was coming to an end and I still couldn't get any action. But once I started, I couldn't stop. Other kids were laughing too. So the hallway consisted of kids laughing and kids crying and kids screaming and teachers walking around and checking classrooms to make sure they were empty. The hallway was completely dark except for the flashes of lightning we could see from the classroom windows. I managed to stop laughing, but then I thought, at least nobody's singing the Star Spangled Banner, and I started laughing all over again. The phrase, by the dawn's early light, got stuck in my mind, and I kept hearing it over and over again. By the dawn's early light, by the dawn's early light, I wondered how many people had sung by the dawn's early light yesterday and were dead today. We were in the hallway for almost an hour. It's hard to stay hysterical for that long. And by the time the hour was over and the storm had died down, almost all the kids were quiet, except for one girl who kept screaming, I don't want to die, like any of us did. We went back into our second period classrooms, even though it was already fourth period. It was still raining with thunder and lightning, but the winds had calmed down and the lightning was farther away. Some of the kids who'd been crying were just shaking. The electricity still wasn't on, and with the lightning not striking so close or so frequently, things were actually darker in the classroom. The sky was still a mean gray, and I think we all felt like the storm could come back at any moment, full tilt, and we'd be back in the hallway. Miss Hamish didn't tell us to go to our fourth period classes. We all just sat there instead. I couldn't totally shake by the dawn's early light from my head, and I was kind of wishing Miss Hamish would distract us with a history lesson when in walked Mom. She was soaking wet and looked wild and determined. I thought something's happened to Matt, and that stomach weight came right back like it had never been gone. Come on, Miranda, Mom said. Get your books and let's get going. Miss Hamish stared at her, but she didn't say anything. I got my books and followed Mom out of the classroom. I thought, if I don't ask what happened, it won't have happened. So I kept quiet as we left school. Mom didn't say anything either. The rain was pouring and the thunder was still pretty loud. And I thought the world really is coming to an end. And Mom wants me home when that happens. We ran to the parking lot and Johnny opened the door for me. I jumped in and I was surprised to see Mrs. Nesbitt sitting in the passenger seat. I could see Mom not wanting Mrs. Nesbitt to be alone when the world ended but I couldn't figure out why she had to be driven somewhere first. Here, Miranda, take this, Mom said, and she handed me an envelope. I looked inside it and saw ten $50 bills. Mom started the car. I looked at Johnny, who just shrugged. When we get to the supermarket, I want Johnny to go to the pet food department, Mom said. Johnny, you know what Horton will need. Get kitty litter, too, and put the bags in the bottom of the wagon. Get the biggest bags that'll fit there. Fill the wagon with as many bags of dry food as you can. Horton likes can, Johnny said. Get the little ones, Mom said. The expensive kind. As many as you can throw into the empty spaces. Fill the wagon as high as you possibly can. And Mrs. Nesbitt, when you get the paper goods, don't forget Tampax for Miranda and me. Lots of boxes. Thanks for reminding me, Mrs. Nesbitt said. What's going on, I asked. Would someone please tell me? It's just in case the world's coming to an end, Johnny said. Mom wants us to be ready. I went to the bank this morning, Mom said, and I filled the gas tank and the gas was already at $5 a gallon. I went to the supermarket and the electricity went out and there was chaos there, so they just said $100 for each wagon, no matter what was in it. I had to get a lot of cash on me, so I filled the wagon and then I went back and got Mrs. Nesbitt and then Johnny and you, so we could each get wagons to fill. You don't really think we're going to need this stuff, I asked. Everything's going to be back to normal soon, isn't it? Not in my lifetime, Mrs. Nesbitt said.
We don't know, Mom said. But kitty litter doesn't go bad. If it turns out I'm wrong and I've wasted all this money, fine. I'd just assume the world get back to normal. But in case it takes a while, we might as well have toilet paper. Miranda, you're going to canned vegetables and fruits. You know what we like. Mom, we don't eat canned vegetables, I said. We do now, she said. Canned vegetables, fruits, soups, too. Lots of cans of soups. Find the carton in the back of the car and put them in the bottom shelf of the cart. Fill those cartons up, too. Get as much as you can in the wagon. I stared out the window. The rain was still falling, and occasional flashes of lightning could be seen in the distance. The electricity was still out, so corners with traffic lights were crazy, with cars stopping and starting and not knowing what exactly to do. I saw a lot of trees had fallen, and cars were driving over the smaller branches that littered the streets. Mom just plowed through. What about desserts, I asked. If the world comes to an end, I'm going to want cookies. We're all going to want cookies if the world comes to an end, Mrs. Nesbitt agreed. And chips and pretzels. If the world is coming to an end, why should I care about my blood pressure? Okay, we'll die fat, Mom said. Grab what you can grab and ram it into your wagons. But remember, if we actually need this stuff, we're going to be a lot more grateful for a can of soup than for a box of stale cookies. Speak for yourself, Mrs. Nesbitt said. Get Progresso, Mom said. They don't need water. Mom, I said, we have water. Which reminds me, she said, after you pay for your first wagon, put the stuff in the car and go back. Johnny, you get water. As many bottles as you can fit in. Mrs. Nesbitt, you get whatever you think you're going to want. Miranda, you go to health and beauty aids. Get aspirin and peroxide and band-aids. Great, I said. The world's coming to an end, and we're fixing it with band-aids. Vitamins, Mom said. Get lots and lots of vitamins. And laxatives, calcium, vitamin D. This is so hard trying to remember everything we might need. Or might not, I said. Mom, I love you, but I think this is crazy. So we'll all get vitamin D for Christmas presents, Mom said. Just do it, okay? Johnny and Mrs. Nesbitt and I have car keys, so wait for one of us to show up, and we'll put your stuff in with theirs, okay? Sure, I said, because I decided it was better to humor her. After we finish our second loads, we'll see what it's like, Mom said. Then we'll see if it's worth it to go back in. She pulled into the supermarket parking lot, and I got a real sense of the madness going on. There were people racing for carts, people screaming, and two guys punching each other out. Johnny, get a wagon for Mrs. Nesbitt first, Mom said. Everybody stay calm and remember you have cash. That's all they're taking, and we have a real advantage there. Work fast. Don't debate. If you can't decide between two things, take both. Pack the carts as high as you can manage. If you have any problems, go to the car. Don't try to find anyone in the store, okay? Are you ready? We all said we were. Johnny looked like he actually meant it. Mom found a parking spot toward the back of the lot, and there were two carts there. We raced out of the car and grabbed them. Mrs. Nesbitt and I each took one and went into the store together. The supermarket reminded me of the hallway at school this morning, and maybe because I had just been through all that, the store didn't scare me as much as it ordinarily would have. So what if people were screaming and crying and fighting? I plowed through people and raced to canned vegetables. I realized I'd forgotten the cartons for the bottom of the wagon. There was nothing I could do about that except put as many cans on the bottom as I could and hope for the best. Except for the total terror I was feeling in the pit of my stomach, it was kind of fun, like those game shows where someone wins five minutes at the supermarket except there were dozens of other winners and we were all there at the same time. I didn't have much time to look around, but it seemed like most of the people were buying meats and produce, and there weren't that many people fighting over the canned carrots. I even lucked out with the soups. Campbell was a lot more popular than Progresso, which made my life easier. When I filled the cart as full as I could possibly manage, I wheeled it to the checkout lines, only to discover people were simply throwing cash at the poor, terrified cashiers. I took two fifties out, tossed them in the same general direction, and then since nobody seemed to be bagging, I pushed the cart out of the store and made my way back to the car. It was actually raining harder, and the storm seemed to be closer. Not as bad as it had been this morning, but bad enough. 
I was relieved to see Mrs. Nesbitt standing by the car waiting for me. We threw all the cans into the car and put the jars in a little more carefully. Mrs. Nesbitt grinned at me. All my life I've been well behaved, she said. It's about time I got to push people around and I'd apologize. Mrs. Nesbitt, you little devil, I said. Ready for round two, she asked. I said I was, and we made our way back to the store. Except that some guy tried to steal the cart from Mrs. Nesbitt. I need it, he yelled. Give it to me. Get your own, she yelled right back at him. This is war, man. I was afraid the man thought that was exactly what it was. I didn't know what else to do, so I rammed my wagon into his back and caught him by surprise. That gave Mrs. Nesbitt just enough time to pull away from him. I raced away also and didn't look back. Compared to battles in the parking lot, the store almost seemed comfy. I went to Health and Beauty Aids and found it fairly empty. I guess the rest of the world hadn't realized they were going to need vitamin D. The great thing about ransacking painkillers was I knew I was getting more than $100 worth of stuff. I filled the car to overflowing, stopped one more time at canned goods, and then over to baked goods, where I put boxes and boxes of cookies on the cart's bottom shelf. I even remembered Fig Newtons, since Matt likes them. This time I found Mom unloading her stuff in the car. She'd bought enough tuna fish and salmon and sardines to last us two lifetimes. The back of the van was as much a madhouse as the store, since there weren't bags for anything. Mom was trying to unload as best she could, but things kept falling out, and I spent as much time grabbing stuff from the pavement as Mom did unloading. A man came over to us. He had a wagon, but he looked desperate. Please, he said, please help me. You have a wagon, Mom said. I need you to come in with me, he said. My wife is seven months pregnant, and we have a two-year-old, and I need diapers and baby food, and I don't know what else. Please come in with me so I can use your cart. I beg you for my wife and my babies. Mom and I both looked at him. He looked like he was in his late 20s, and he seemed sincere. Miranda, go back into the store and just use your best judgment, Mom said. I'm going with this man. We finished ramming stuff into the van, and then the three of us went back in. I felt better catching a glimpse of Mrs. Nesbitt as we walked in. She was at Gourmet Foods. I guess she figured she might as well go in style. I also found Johnny finishing up at the water section. He seemed to be enjoying himself. I went over to juices and selected juices that were in cans or cartons. In a million years, I never thought we'd be drinking canned juice, but bottles were just too hard to deal with. I also got some of that last forever milk. By that point, a lot of the shelves were nearly empty, and people were starting to fight over single boxes of things. There were broken eggs on the floor and spilled liquids, so just walking around was getting tricky. There was still some room in my cart, so I went over to the snacks and got a couple of boxes of pretzels. I spotted canned nuts and threw lots of those in. Baked goods seemed pretty empty, so I filled the wagon with cartons of salt and bags of sugar, and just for the hell of it, a bag of chocolate chips. I threw my fifties to the cashier and made my way to the van. The parking lot was getting nastier and the rain was still falling hard. Johnny was there, but as soon as Mom showed up, she told both of us to go back in and ransack the shelves for anything we could find. There really wasn't much left in the store, but I managed to fill the cart with lima beans and Brussels sprouts and other end-of-the-world delicacies. When we finally all got into the van, Mom wouldn't let any of us talk until she maneuvered her way out of the lot. By that point, we were too exhausted to make conversation anyway. Mom started driving home. The roads were even worse than they had been. At one point, Johnny and I had to get out of the van and clear a big branch off the road. A couple of other people showed up and helped us, but I was scared until we got back into the van and Mom started driving again. We were halfway home when Mrs. Nesbitt said, Stop at that strip mall. You think? Mom said, but she pulled into the parking lot. It was practically empty. Johnny, you go to the pet supply store, Mrs. Nesbitt said. I'm going to the gift shop. Laura, you go to the nursery. Good idea, Mom said. I'll buy vegetable flats. We'll have fresh produce all summer. That didn't leave much for me, so I went to the antique store. I don't know why, but then again, I don't know why Mrs. Nesbitt was so insistent on going to the gift shop. 
It wasn't like Hallmark put out happy end of the world day cards. The great thing about the antique store was I was the only customer. There still wasn't any electricity and the lightning flashes were still a little too close for comfort, but it was the only place I'd been to in hours that didn't seem like a madhouse. The woman behind the counter even said, can I help you? I didn't want to give away our secret that we were stocking up for the end of the world, just in case it gave her any ideas. So I said, no, thanks, and kept looking. I still had $200 in my envelope, so I knew I could buy pretty much anything we needed, if I could only figure out what we might need. Then I saw three oil lamps. I grabbed them and went up front. We have scented oil to go with them, if you're interested, the woman said. I'll take all of them, I told her. We should be getting electricity back soon, the woman said. At least that's what I heard on the radio. My mom is worried, I said. This will just make her feel better. The store had an old-fashioned cash register, so she was able to ring up my purchases. I handed over two fifties and actually got change. I was the first person at the car. I stood there getting even wetter until Johnny showed up. Horton's never going to go hungry, he said. There was hardly room for all the stuff he'd bought, but we rearranged everything we could. Then Mrs. Nesbitt came out, carrying bags and bags. I bought every candle in the store, she said. Gift shops always have candles. Mrs. Nesbitt, you're a genius, I said. I got oil lamps. We're both geniuses, she said. We got in the van and waited for Mom. When she showed up, she had a dozen flats. I had no idea how we were going to fit them in, but it turned out to be easy. Mrs. Nesbitt sat on my lap, and we used up all her space with flats of tomatoes and cucumbers and string beans and strawberries. The more we harvest, the longer the canned foods will last, Mom said. Okay, is there anything anyone didn't buy that we might need? Batteries, I said. The transistor radio in the shop had made me think of them. Matches, Mrs. Nesbitt said. That convenience store should have them, Mom said, and it doesn't sell gas, so it should be pretty quiet. She was right. There was only one other car in the lot. Mom bought all their batteries and box matches and bars of soap. She even bought a coffee cake and a box of donuts. Just in case the world ends tomorrow, she said, we might as well enjoy today. We dropped Mrs. Nesbitt off at her house, and we all carried food and supplies for her. We didn't fuss over which can of soup belonged to who or whether she was entitled to more candles. We just divvied stuff up so that she had plenty. We kept the cat food and the vegetable flats. I made sure that she had one of the oil lamps and oil to go with it. It took a long time to get her stuff out and a longer time to unload the car when we finally got home. Mom got shopping bags and we filled them and put everything in the dining room except for the donuts. Those we ate as soon as we were finished. I'll sort things out later, she said. Thanks, kids. I never could have done this without you. And then she started crying. That was two hours ago. I don't think she stopped crying yet.